This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the White House's recent Conference on Aging meeting and the Older Americans Act, or the OAA. With me to discuss the meeting and the OAA is Anne Montgomery, Senior Policy Analyst at Alterum's Institute's Center for Healthcare and Advanced Illness, and as well a visiting scholar at the National Academy of Social Insurance. Anne, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Anne's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, this past July 13th, the sixth White House Conference on Aging was held. The meeting is typically held every 10 years, the last in 2005, per provision in the Older Americans Act that specifies the meeting's agenda. Since the Congress allowed the Older Americans Act to expire in September 2011, the White House held the decennial meeting regardless, in part because the Older Americans Act, like Medicare, celebrated its 50th anniversary last month. The OAA was also signed into law by President Johnson. It constituted the first federal effort at providing comprehensive services for older adults. Among other things, the law established the Administration on Aging, provided federal funding for state agencies on aging, provided for health care services including nutritional and health promotion services, home care, family caregiving support, and case management, support services including transportation, programs for low-income seniors and tribal organizations, and programs to protect the legal rights of vulnerable elders. A disproportionate number of seniors served by the OAA have been those below the poverty line, more likely to be female, minority, living alone, less healthy, and living in rural settings. Again with me to discuss the White House Conference and the OAA is Ann Montgomery. So Ann, let's begin with uh, a question on status of the OAA, and then we'll get to the White House meeting. So what's the current status of OAA funding, and why has the Congress not renewed the legislation over the last four years? And just allow me to note, since the law was passed in 1965, it has enjoyed substantial congressional support in that it's been amended and revised at least 11 times. Mm -hmm. Well, the short answer on funding is that appropriated funding for the Older Americans Act is woefully insufficient to meet current needs. Uh, the difference in spending growth for programs funded by the OAA, which provides key services that keep seniors safe and out of crisis in their own homes, and growth in the healthcare system is starkly different. And we noted this in the New England Journal of Medicine piece that I co-authored with Dr. Joanne Lynn. She's the uh, director of our center. And Dr. Ravi Parikh of Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And in that piece, which ran at the end of July, we found that the cumulative growth in funding for Medicare since 2004 is about 100%, representing a doubling of expenditures as compared to only 4% in the Older Americans Act. And meanwhile, the increase in the Medicare population during that period was about 35%. So this is not particularly good news with regard to funding, and we're just at the beginning of the baby boomer-driven age wave. Uh, this is the population that's going to grow the fastest and challenge our health and social services systems the most. And the cohort that will uh, present the greatest challenges is the frail elderly cohort, those who are over 80 or 85 and who need assistance. 
in the form of activities of daily living assistance or who have cognitive impairment. And that population is going to double between now and 2030 and then double again between 2030 and 2050. So that means 4 million people um, meet that description in 2000, 9 million in 2030, and 18 million in 2050. So unless we really rethink how we're delivering and funding services that are basic to the welfare of these older adults, we're going to see an escalating crisis in the number of older adults being admitted and readmitted to the hospital or placed prematurely in nursing homes. So that, I think, is our challenge. So funding has been... Um increasingly inadequate, I think is your point in some, but what explains why Congress has let this lapse for four years? I will note that one of our current presidential candidates, uh, Senator Sanders, uh, offered legislation soon after September 2011. Um, that legislation didn't move. There have been efforts since. There are some current efforts in this Congress, but there's not a lot of optimism that this moves this year. I guess what I would say is that uh, with regard to why Congress has been slow to reauthorize the Older Americans Act, there just isn't enough political understanding of the importance of the Older Americans Act, which provides... Despite it being 50 years and running. Exactly. Uh, which provides a cadre of health-related social supports and services, or you can think of it as long-term care. And yet, uh, the funding for the Older Americans Act, as we just talked about, is appropriated, whereas the programs that provide health care... Uh, Medicare and Medicaid primarily are mandatory right. programs and therefore you know, have a, an automatic tap on the Treasury, if you will. So I, I think that the gap uh, in understanding in Congress between uh, what goes on on the appropriated side of the ledger and what goes on on the mandatory side of the ledger is, is profound. Uh, so, essentially, the Older Americans Act has languished for the last four years, and even before then, uh, when I was working on the Senate Special Committee on Aging for former uh, Senator Herb Cole, we wrote a, an Older who's Americans... Who's the chair? Who's the chairman of the Aging Committee. We wrote, um, I think, a fairly far-reaching piece of legislation, uh, but yet it didn't really get the attention of Congress, and uh, we really have to change that. Uh, it has lapsed, as you noted, in 2011, Congress has kept funding it, albeit at a lower level than it really needs, uh, since then. Um, but this is not good, you know, for the age wave, which really began in 2011 and is scheduled to accelerate, obviously, as the baby boomers continue to retire at a rate of about 10,000 per day, uh, reaching 65. The other factor uh, that we have to worry about is that the sequester is back. Um, the sequester really came into effect under the Budget Control Act of 2011 when Congress and the administration came to an impasse with regard to a budget deal. So the sequester is a series of automatic spending cuts uh, and for non-defense discretionary programs that already have a baseline that is too low to begin with, like the Older Americans Act, it's been devastating. So the sequester has really brought about dramatic reductions in senior nutrition and other programs um, starting in fiscal year 2013. Some of those cuts have and been restored. And that's a 10-year correct cut. That's, that's correct. And some of those cuts have been restored, uh, i.e. for nutrition programs, but many of the other uh, sequester-driven cuts have not been restored. And this year, uh, the sequester is back unless Congress reaches another deal to postpone it or to restore uh, the otherwise automatic cuts. It's going to be a busy fall. Uh, we may have a reconciliation bill, which would open up the mandatory side of the budget, and we may uh, also have a big fight over the debt limit. 
so all of these sort of budgetary factors are swirling around. And we'll, be on, and we'll be on a CR once again. And we'll be on a CR once again. And meanwhile, the Older Americans Act is a very small program in the scheme of things. It's less than $2 billion. So Congress does not pay enough attention to this very vital program. I guess I would say that, although it may seem counterintuitive, unless we figure out how to spend more money, uh, whether that's through direct uh, appropriations on social services or through savings um, harvested from the healthcare sector where we can do that, um, we're going to be in trouble. People are going to end up in crisis again and again uh, in the hospital or placed prematurely in nursing homes. Which costs more. Which costs more. Um, so, you know, what's, what's the better deal to spend $7 a day on, on a, a home-delivered meal and keep an elderly woman who can't get out of the house um, from becoming dehydrated and malnourished or to see her end up in the hospital? I think we all know what the answer is yet we have to build awareness to really make that happen. Okay, let's go to the conference on aging again July 13th at the White House. The president spoke at the conference. What did he say? <laughs> he said a number of things, um, and one of them I think that was uh, very noteworthy is that he said that the costs of Medicare are really going to have to be uh, watched carefully and controlled. And uh, he you know, saluted the Great Society programs, Medicare, Medicaid, and the Older Americans Act, Social Security as well, uh, passed during FDR's administration, said that they needed to remain strong, but that there are many challenges ahead really driven by the baby boomer cohort. Uh, he announced that uh, the uh, nursing home uh, conditions of participation regulation, which basically sets the standards for what nursing homes have to deliver, uh, is being has been proposed and will be finalized this year. That's important. It hasn't been done since 1991. Uh, he talked about some elder abuse programs, which I think are tremendously important, also under the jurisdiction of the Administration for Community Living, which administers the Older Americans Act. Uh, more prosecutors will be hired to deal with elder abuse. So we talked about that. And he talked about dementia-friendly communities, which are being built really by the private sector, um, starting in Minnesota, and aim to build awareness of what dementia is and how to help people who are living with it and their family caregivers. So he talked about a lot of things. I would note that this is the sixth White House Conference on Aging, and the very first one was in 1961 in the administration of John F. Kennedy. It happens every 10 years, and it's really an opportunity to look ahead um, at the next 10 years, so the next one would uh, presumably occur in 2025. Um, I think the culmination of the White House Conference on Aging is always a report that is issued in conjunction uh, with the National Conference as well as all the events that led up uh, to the National Conference, which consisted of a range of seminars and regional meetings and listening sessions, all of which can be found on the White House website. That's easy to find. It's uh, www.whitehouseconferenceonaging.gov. So we haven't seen the final report yet. Looking forward to it and to hearing what it has to offer uh, in terms of recommendations over the next 10 years. The four areas uh, that were selected uh, by the Obama administration are healthy aging. For discussion. For discussion. Uh, elder abuse or elder justice, long-term services and supports, and retirement security. I will say that one notable omission at the actual national conference um, was discussion, uh, full, you know, sort of frontal discussion of long-term services and supports. 
um, that may indicate that there's a lack of consensus on how to proceed in that area. And I think that sort of loops back to why the Older Americans Act is important. Uh, it is a program that offers social services or long-term services and supports. The other major program, obviously, that does that is Medicaid. Um, but Medicaid is a program that really kicks in at the point that you've spent down and you are quite low income and you've uh, given up almost all your assets. So we really need to do a better job of figuring out how to offer long-term services and supports to people who need them uh, and not require them, essentially, to spend down or just not provide services because the funding isn't there. And that's really the challenge ahead as to how, using existing programs, we're going to be able to do that. We can also try to work on uh, solutions involving new programs uh, for long-term services and supports, uh, but that may take a while. Um, those of you who are dedicated long-term care people may know that the Affordable Care Act did contain a program called the CLASS program, uh, which uh, was scheduled to go into effect and to offer long-term services and supports on a voluntary basis to those who signed up for it and uh, had a cash benefit associated with it, but it did not make it. Uh, the Obama administration decided it really couldn't um, implement the program in part due to actuaries concerns that it would not be sustainable over time. So I do think that uh, we should revisit that subject, um, but maybe the signal from the White House Conference on Aging is that there is no immediate solution in sight and we're going to have to think harder about it. So the point though for long-term services and supports is that we don't reimburse for them typically, that they're cost efficient in that they're less costly and oftentimes more effective, not by definition more effective than medical care, and therefore um, we need to do a better job of making them available. Because again, we have this hyper-medical paradigm that we work where everything's a medical condition when in fact it's maybe just a transportation issue. Correct. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but since OAA is um, adrift, to the White House's credit, they held this conference and they had to raise private dollars to do so, correct? That's correct, yes. AARP was uh, very seminal in helping to uh, fund the regional meetings. There were five of those and uh, there were listening sessions and webinars that uh, were offered up by various organizations and the uh, sort of national audience was a virtual audience for the most part uh, for the national conference. And I do think that there were more than 700, I think, watch parties uh, for the conference. Uh, that was a cost-effective way uh, to host a national conference without having to spend a great deal of money on it. It is uh, a fact that Congress did not appropriate special funding for this White House Conference on Aging effort where it has done so in the past. Let's go to retirement security. Um, you did mention it is one of the priority areas. How was that discussed? Uh, the president flagged the, excuse me, my RA uh, proposal, which would really offer individuals who don't have an employer-sponsored retirement uh, plan available to them the opportunity to put aside savings. And I think that's something that uh, should be uh, taken forward. Uh, it, it would require, of course, Congress to pass legislation in order to do that. Uh, I don't know if that's on tap for this year or not. I haven't heard that it is. Um, but we really do need to give people more opportunities to save. Uh, the savings rates for uh, the baby boomer generation and uh, younger generations is not looking good. 
And uh, if we don't figure that out, we're going to put more and more pressure on our health care programs, and particularly Medicaid. So I think that's um, something so my we've RA, got to think through. My RA, my retirement account. Correct. What discussion was had about long-term care insurance? At the national conference, there wasn't any particular discussion about long-term care insurance. Again, uh, I think that that's something that uh, we, in the policy sector, could do a better job of figuring out how to address. Uh, Long-term care insurance is not uh, a product. Widely offered, and it's very expensive. Exactly. Um, so we do need to, I think, think through how we could make it more affordable, uh, how we could perhaps create a, a national program, perhaps, that paralleled uh, the program that's available for federal workers. Um, we don't have any such program. Uh, Long-term care insurance is mainly sold on the individual market. And it is expensive, and it is uh, also something that a lot of people decide they just can't afford and, and might not ever use. Therefore, they perhaps, uh, from their perspective, might be wasting their money. On the other hand, if you were able to buy front-end coverage uh, through the private sector, and it covered the first couple of years of uh, long-term care services, this would be a great boon you know, for our health care programs and our social services programs that otherwise will have to take up the slack. I think surely we can figure out how to do this, um, perhaps through state exchanges. We could develop uh, more affordable programs. We'll see. Uh, I don't think anybody's talking about this yet, but, um, but I think that we probably will be in the future. Let me uh, reach here and ask, I, I can predict the answer, but out-of-pocket costs are unlimited in Medicare. I'm assuming this conversation issue was not discussed. It was not discussed, no. Okay, let's move on. So my question is, what would a reauthorized, and you suggested the answer, but let me persist, what would a reauthorized AOA look like if it was going to be responsive to current needs for, again, um, long-term services supports? Um, so what would this legislation look like? Well, first, I do want to sort of loop back and say that there is some good news on the Older Americans Act in the Senate, um, S-192, which is a bipartisan bill, cleared the Senate uh, by unanimous consent on July 16th, and hopefully the House Education and Workforce Committee will take up uh, the Senate bill in a reasonably timely fashion this fall and enact that version of the Older Americans Act. Uh, it's a fairly straightforward or clean reauthorization. There are some additions, particularly in the area of elder abuse, um, and that would be terrific. That would be tremendous progress. However, I do think that this reauthorization um, doesn't go as far as we probably need to go to really take care of the age wave needs. Uh, in order to do that, there's widespread recognition that the aging network needs to sort of retool and reinvent itself um, and transition from being a system that is grant funded only to one that partners increasingly with the healthcare uh, system, meaning healthcare providers, hospitals, managed care plans, accountable care organizations, and others, in order to provide the community based services that any vulnerable population really needs. Um, the Administration for Community Living recognizes this need and has a whole technical assistance program up and running. It's called the Business Acumen Learning Collaborative. That is privately funded for the most part, uh, or started with private funding from the SCAN Foundation and the John A. Hartford Foundation. 
and it is essentially providing um, area agencies on aging and aging disability resource centers, which are the heart of the aging network, along with the community-based organization nonprofits that are the partners of the aging network, to learn, you know, how to collect and analyze quality data, to bill for services, to acquire Medicaid billing privileges, to acquire Medicare provider status, to deal with certification and accreditation issues. It's a big transition uh, for this network, but it's essential um, that, they, that they make it, and it's equally essential uh, for the healthcare organizations to reach out to the aging network, not try to reinvent it, but use what's already there, partner and, and uh, coordinate closely with them in order to basically stabilize high-cost, high-risk populations. So that work is not really uh, part of necessarily the reauthorization, um, but it is moving forward. Another piece of that is the community-based care transitions program, uh, which is administered by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, that's a five-year program, Section 3026 of the Affordable Care Act, and it is sort of on the ground work between hospitals and area agencies on aging and ADRCs to uh, take high-risk people uh, who are at risk of being readmitted to the hospital and figure out how to stabilize them in the community. So that program probably will wrap up in about 2017, and I think it's a uh, fundamental and core piece of the work that, that we are doing and we need to do a lot more of. Okay, and thank you very much for your time. Uh, uh, efficient and substantive conversation. I'm very appreciative. Thanks so much. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.